But tonight, we're going to talk about salt and grace. Salt and grace. And we've talked recently about salt. We talked about salt and light one, one Sunday morning whenever we were going through our, our series on, on Matthew chapter 5. And so that verse in Matthew chapter 5, it's Matthew 5 and 13, and it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And then another similar passage in Mark chapter 9 and verse 50, and it says, Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Which sounds really good, but that's really hard. To have peace one with another. Many times, peace is something that we, we aspire to and we strive for, but it's not something that's easy to come by. And in this time that these passages were written, salt itself was not something that was just easy to come by. It was a commodity, but it was a very valuable commodity. And you couldn't just go down to Super One and, and buy a big thing of salt. It was something that had to be transported in from elsewhere. And it was, it was extremely valuable. So whenever Jesus said, have salt in yourselves and have peace, one with another, then the Jews understood that both of those things were valuable, hard to come by, and you had to work for them. It wasn't just something that was given to you. And so we have these references for salt, and if you've heard any sermons at all throughout your, your life on salt and life, you've probably heard those verses. And though those references to salt are not by accident. Salt is an interesting compound, and normally we think of salt in terms of taste, but in biblical times it was actually more valuable for its qualities of preservation. However, both applications, the, the flavor and the preservation, have merit in the spiritual. Now, we most definitely in the South know well how salt is used in food. If we go somewhere that's not here and we eat their food, we generally call it bland or flavorless or tasteless. And the first thing that we do is we reach for the salt that, or the Tonys if we have some with us. But if we're, if we're up north or if we're out west, chances are they, they have no Tonys. They may have some hot sauce and it's probably not going to be that great because it's not Tabasco sauce or it's, it's not whatever your preferred method uh, of fire on your food is. But we, we in the South readily reach for the salt whenever something doesn't taste right. So we, we are well acquainted with salt's property in enhancing the flavor of food. Yet for thousands of years, salt has also been used as a curative, and a preservative, and it can be applied to meats to halt or slow the decaying process. And in the Old Testament, salt had an even more vital role to play in the lives of God's people. 
Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 13. And this is God talking to the Levitical priesthood about how they're going to do sacrifice. This is where he's giving the details on this is how you're going to do this kind of sacrifice, this is this kind of sacrifice. And he goes through and details the priest's robes, how the temple's going to be. But this particular verse, he said, And every oblation, which is an offering, of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Every time you bring a meat offering, you're going to season it with salt. Neither shall thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Why? We don't know. But that's what God said, and so that's what they did. This was a commandment of God to the Levitical priesthood and to the people. Every sacrifice or offering that contained meat, that offering required salt because God said so, period. We often, especially with, with things where we have to make decisions on what we do and how we do it, we so often look at what we consider inconsequential and try to make a determination of whether that something is important or not. However, in the kingdom of God, we are the servants and he is the master. And it doesn't matter how small or inconsequential the detail is, it's not up to the servant to decide this directive can be ignored, but that one's important and I have to follow it. If he's the master and I am truly his servant at heart, then whatever he says, I have to do, no matter how small it is. You know, and we and we can all say, yes, you know, I agree with that, and that's that's absolutely true, but but what about whenever we're, we're prompted by God to, to do something or to say something or to speak to someone that's outside of our comfort zone and God's trying to get salt through us. I mean, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt that's in your cabinet is your salt. It belongs to you. But until you put it on your food, it does no good in the cabinet. It just sits there and it's nice to have. And you say, I got plenty of salt. But if you're not using it, it does you no good at all. And in the same vein, if we are the salt of the earth, it does us no good to simply exist in the earth as salt if we are not allowing it to be applied around us. We are the salt. We have to be used. So God told them to include salt with every meat offering. So they did. They were smart people. That meant that this very valuable commodity was used in great measure by the early Israelites. It was probably even more valuable to them than it was to the neighboring countries because the neighboring countries would use it as a curative, as a preservative. The rich would even use it as a flavoring mechanism. But to the Israelites, this is required for sacrifice. If we don't do this, God gets mad and we all get wiped out. So to them, it was exceedingly important, which means every time you see salt referenced in the word of God, all of the Israelites, all of the Hebrews realized this is something that is not only valuable, 
but it's something that's required for existence. And all throughout Scripture, we see salt as the image of the God quantity that's added to something else. Salt is a type and shadow of grace. It is the thing which is added to the imperfect lives that we live that transforms us from our nothing into something in his hands. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So by grace we are saved through faith. By the adding of the grace of God, his salt to our lives, we are saved. Not by the works that we can hold up and show, I've done this and that, and I've done all these things, this is how good I am, but rather by something that is completely different and foreign to what we are being added to our lives that transforms us into something completely different. Because you take any dish that has no salt in it at all, and you can take salt and you can put it on your tongue and it has one flavor, but you take it and add it to that dish, and that dish has a completely transformed flavor that's not necessarily just salt. It literally changes the flavor of the dish itself. And so the salt of God added to us, we still look the same, but we're completely different. The difference-making thing is what changes our flavor and what preserves our souls. So the type and shadow of salt and grace gets really cool, really spectacular for me in the book of Ezra. I love this example, and I've used it before, but we're going to use it again just because I, I, I love how, how God uses this kind of imagery to reinforce what he's going to do later and I talked about foreshadowing last Sunday but but this is again foreshadowing what he's going to do with grace but King Artaxerxes is over all of Persia and he is in the the Babylonian Empire and he has a servant whose name was Ezra and Ezra was down in the dumps because the temple in Israel had been utterly destroyed by the previous kings. Everything was wiped out. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. Ezra was worried about the temple. Nehemiah was worried about the wall. And so Ezra was upset that there, there was no temple. There was no, no offerings being made. The, the people of God were not able to worship like God had commanded them. And he and the king were friends. And so the king told him, he said, look, I know you people are subjugated to us, but I'm going to send you back home because you're my friend and I want you to be able to worship like you want to worship. But also, I want to make your God happy because your God apparently takes care of your people. So I want him to be nice to me too. Because in Persia, they, they believed in a pantheon of different gods and so any god that he could make happy he thought was a good idea so he said I'm gonna send you back and I'm gonna take care of you and and, and y'all y'all go on and, and do whatever you got to do but make sure your god knows 
that, that I'll let you go. You make sure and tell him, I, I'll let you go. But this is so interesting. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 21. And the king is speaking. He says, and I, even Adaraxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river. That means between Babylon and Israel that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, shall require of you, it be done speedily. Verse 22, unto an hundred talents of silver, and unto a hundred measures of wheat, and to an hundred baths of wine, and to an hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much unlimited salt no prescription on how much unlimited salt is a foreshadowing of unlimited grace the king said however much you need my storehouse is open you can have I'm, I'm not putting any limits on the amount of salt because that's what you're going to use in your sacrifices you can have as much as you want and we are often short on grace with ourselves we're often short on grace with others but the Lord is never short on grace the king gives us his grace freely as much as is needed without prescribing how much that we get God will place limits on our trials our tests our problems in that he'll never put on us more than we can bear. Now, sometimes we mess that up and we put more on us than we can bear. And then we cry out, God, why are you doing? God's like, that's not my fault. I'll help you, but, but that, I didn't do that. But of grace, there is no limit. And he will never, we, we will never be told, you've had enough. Go, go on your way. You, you, you can't have any more today. And as humans, we can have too much of a good thing. If we get too much money or fame or other things, sometimes it can begin to corrupt us. But there's never a point where we have too much grace that we've received or too much grace that we're giving to others on behalf of God. Israel, whenever they would become too prosperous would leave God and try to do things their own way. So there's danger in prosperity, but not in grace. There's another interesting passage in the Old Testament that references when Elisha used salt. And this, is, this passage is found in 2 Kings chapter 2. And, and to set this up, we're going to start in verse 19. But Elijah has just gone off into heaven. He's been caught up. Elisha has caught his cloak and he's received the double portion and the men of Jericho saw it happen they they saw that Elijah was gone and they even wanted to go out and find Elijah they, they told Elisha we know you're his man but we're gonna send out three uh, we're gonna send out 50 men we've got 50 strong men they're gonna go search for him and make sure that God didn't pick him up and drop him somewhere like that, that was literally what they thought. And Elisha told them, he's like, you don't have to go look. I, I know where he is. God took him. 
but they, they persisted on and on and on. And finally he said, all right, if you want to go look, go look. So they go and look. They go for three days. They can't find him. They come back. And Elisha said, told you, you're not here anymore. And they said, well, okay, well, he's not here anymore. So we've got a problem that we need to tell you because apparently you're next man up. And so in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19, they start, and the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation in this city is pleasant. It was a beautiful city. Everything looked wonderful. Everything looked nice. As my Lord seeth, but the water is not. The water had become bad. It had dried up, and it had become corrupted. It had become muddied, and there were other things, impurities in it. And the ground barren. Verse 20, And he said, Bring me a new cruise or a new vessel and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. Verse 21, And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters and there shall not from thence any more death or barren land. Verse 22, So the waters were healed unto this day according to to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Doesn't sound like, okay, the water was bad, he threw some salt in, everything was good. But the imagery is, they knew him for a prophet, and they had a problem. And the city was lovely and strong, but there was a situation that was making them not well off. Their, their water supply was bad. And Elisha called for a new vessel. Not an old vessel, not a vessel to be cleaned, but a new vessel and had them put salt in the new vessel. He then went to the spring of the waters, to the source. He cast the salt in, and from there on the water was healed and it was good. Just like God said that whenever we are in Christ, we are a new vessel creation. We are a new vessel. He used a new vessel as a type and shadow of what we were going to be. And then he put in salt into the vessel. He put in the type and shadow of grace, the thing that makes it something completely different. And then he went to the source of the problem. He didn't go to the trees that were drying up. He didn't go to the crops that were barren and sprinkled salt on them. He went to the source of the problem where all of the, their troubles were coming from and then he took from that new vessel filled with salt and he poured the salt, the God quantity, into the middle of the root cause of the problem and everything was made well. The type and shadow is whenever God creates us as a new vessel Whenever we go down in baptism, whenever we're filled with the Holy Ghost, he puts the salt in us, and then he brings us to places where there are problems. Because if, if any of you are living in a place where there are no problems at all, you, you probably are missing something. You, you really are. But he brings us to places where there are problems in order that he can pour the salt out into the source of those problems he is the God quantity in us that is the image of the Spirit of God added to 
our vessels. And God wants to pour out the salt of grace on the source of our problems and the source of the problems of those around us. Because he can pour that salt into our selfishness. He can pour that salt into our lust. He can pour that salt into our anger. And it becomes even more special if you replace the word salt with grace. He can pour his grace into our selfishness. He can pour his grace into our lust. He can pour his grace into our anger. Because salt is both a preserver and a purifier. It will season our afflictions, which are unsavory, unpalatable, and just nasty, without the salt of grace. Hard times are not times that we like or that we remember with any favorable memories at all until they're seasoned with grace. And then we say, I was in this situation, but God. I was in that situation, but God. And grace was added to the situation, and all of a sudden what became bland and gross because it was seasoned with grace all of a sudden becomes a testimony of what God can do. Our souls become preserved. Our attitudes become purified. And we can glorify God who brought us through by grace. Grace will preserve our heart, which can decay if the salt of grace is absent. Left to our own devices, without grace in our lives, we can easily become bitter, negative, pessimistic people because life is rough and people are human. But oh, whenever our hearts are salted with grace, it preserves us. It kills the bacteria of bitterness and negativity and it sustains the work that God has already begun in us and allows us to continue onward through even the most difficult points in our lives. And if you've ever been a kid that somebody told you about the reaction of salt with slugs. I, you know, salt and slugs and a magnifying glass with ants, you know, that, that was just, that was too cool. I, I, I remember whenever we lived in Waco, Texas, in the duplex, we, um, we there were some always slugs on the, the back walkway and one day I don't remember which one of y'all it was but one of them told me if you put salt on them they will dissolve and that was the coolest thing ever I thought but even that has a spiritual application because salt will kill the things that are slimy that try to slide through our lives and leave a residue on everything they touch grace can dissolve my rage Grace can dissolve my anger. Grace can dissolve my hatred. So if I let the grace of God be applied in me, then the things about me which tend to rub off on other people and destroy their life and their happiness, the grace of God can destroy that in me. So then I can become salt to the world. And God transforms me into the preservation of that preserves my family. He transforms me into the purification of my friends through him working through me. 
He transforms me into the influence of God that destroys the things, the attitudes, and the feelings that could harm or destroy my family or my friends. We need much grace. So we should seek much grace, and then we should have much grace. Because it's all well and good about talking about this grace that's applied to me and the grace that does all these things for me. But just as I've said many times before, God doesn't have a problem getting blessings to us. He has problems getting blessings through us. And so grace is the same. He doesn't have a problem getting grace to us. It's freely given. It's a gift. But he has a problem many times getting grace through us into the world around us because we can't be the salt until there are things around us to be salted. You, you got to be salty for Jesus. You, you really do. But over the, over the course of the, this whole year, God has been pounding into my spirit and into my, my psyche over and over and over. You know, you're in, in a world that you see as just crazy and, and, and nuts and things, politics and, and all these kinds of things, you know, the pandemic and, and the decisions of these and the decisions of those. And I look around the world like things are not like they used to be. They are not like they were whenever I was a kid. The world is crazy is crazy my kids are gonna have to grow up in this they're gonna have to find spouses in this this is just Lord really and God has been pounding into my spirit over and over and over I can't use you if you're not around anybody that needs me and so the more people you are around that need me the more opportunities I have to work through you but you've got to stop blocking me from being able to use you because my desire is to help every single person you come in contact with regardless of whether they look like you or they agree with you or they smell like you or I just need to touch people and you're my hands and feet so go touch people on and I'm on a daily basis if I'm at the counter and I'm talking to somebody at the assessor's office I want to allow grace to flow through me even if I'm getting aggravated with them because I'm telling them something and they're not listening. But that doesn't matter. God needs to show them grace and I may be the only connection point they have between God and grace in their entire life. So I have to be ready, whether it's at the gas station or the restaurant or on Facebook or wherever I happen to be, I have to be ready to show grace because somebody may be hanging on by a thread and God says, if you will just open your mouth, I can touch them and I can change everything. But I need somebody to be willing to be a vessel, a new vessel that I can pour into that then I can use to pour out on the source of their problems and not just worry about the symptoms but pour the salt in to where it needs to be to fix everything that's going wrong. So tonight, grace is extended to us without measure. And so then we have to be willing to extend grace without measure. And that's the hard part. 
Because a lot of times it's easy for us to go on Monday and be fired up for God and, and show grace even when it's hard. And then by Tuesday, we're pretty beat up. But we're still going to show grace. And by Wednesday, it's a struggle. And I may not be showing much grace. Wednesday night, we come to church and we, we get, get everything. Thursday, we're, we're good to go. But then Friday comes. And then Saturday comes. And then our football team doesn't win. You know, that's me. We've got to be ready to show grace every single day. And we can't be ready to show grace if the only time that we're allowing God to refill our vessel is Sunday and Wednesday. We've got to be in the Word every day and in prayer every day so God can be topping off our vessel every day because we never know who's going to be coming down the road or down the hallway or passing by our desk whenever God says, now, pour grace in now. That's it. That's where I want you to speak right now. So if you would stand with me. Sister Donna, if you would come. We're going to end. And I didn't tell her this. So we're going to end with God is so good. He's so good to me. And we're done a little bit early. He's just going to have to deal with the fallout from that. But tonight, we're going to sing this song. And then Sister Donna is just going to play for a little bit. And it's up to us to examine ourselves and say, Okay, God, whew, maybe I've not been showing the grace that you want me to show. Help me. I'm sorry for today or yesterday or the day before or whenever I didn't show grace. But God, tomorrow is another day. Tonight is still part of this day. Maybe I can show grace tonight before I go to bed. If I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to get gas or whatever. Or maybe it's tomorrow. But God, whenever it is that I need to show grace, help me, help my vessel to be full and help it to be open and let it be ready in the master's hand to pour grace out where grace needs to be somewhere around me. And this song is very, very simple. It just says, God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Very simple. But he has been so good to me. I don't deserve the grace that I have. Not at all. If I had to qualify me, I would have already thrown me on the burn pile. Because I don't deserve one bit of the grace that he's given me. And that's why he says... By grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I didn't earn it. He just gave it to me because he loves me.